On this episode of the The Sam D Podcast, I chop it up with tennis analyst Agassi Georges. On the heels of Serena Williams announcing her retirement after this year's U.S. Open, what the hell? How the hell do we get here? Why is Serena walking away now? What is she leaving behind her in terms of the women's game and just tennis overall? What were her best moments? How dominant was she? And how much of a cultural icon is she? All of that and more on episode 236 of the The Sam D Podcast. Hello and welcome to the The Sam D Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Dismay Jr. Follow me on No Longer The Elon app at The CMD. That's T-H-E-E-S-A-M-D. Podcast is also up there at The CMD Podcast. All one word. Instagram, same thing. We're trying to do some reels and stuff on Instagram. So if you do the IG thing, same thing, at The CMD Podcast. Follow along with the podcast. Subscribe and rate five stars. Nothing less. Podcasts available on all major podcasts and platforms, including the Purple app and the Rogan app. For all content, audio, and visual, hit up thesamd.com. Musical production done by May 1st Music. Support him at soundcloud.com slash May 1st Music. 73 singles titles. 24 Grand Slam singles titles. 14 Grand Slam doubles titles, four, not one, not two, not three, but four Olympic gold medals, including the greatest moment in the history of all sports, 2012 Wimbledon Center Court Crip Walking, but yet only 94 million in prize money. I can't believe that number until I just read it. 94 million, 73 wins, 94 million in prize money. Of course, I'm talking about Serena Williams, the GOAT, the GOAT of GOATs, Serena Williams. And I had my next guest on before. He's been highly requested. Anytime anything happens in tennis, y'all text me, y'all hit the DMs. Yo, is your band's coming back on? I'm like, say less when the time is right. I'm going to make sure he gets back on. Pause. And so Serena makes news, says she's retiring, kind of. So who better than the host of the Holding Serve podcast available wherever you can get your podcast. Let's welcome back into the The Samedi podcast, Agazi Georges. Agazi, welcome back, bro. Long time overdue. But here we are yet again. Serena does a thing and it's me and you chopping it up. What's up? What's up, man? Very, very overdue. Uh, appreciate the love. And, uh, yeah, it's good to be back. Um, big, big time for tennis. You know, usually this time of year is one of the big times in tennis because we're heading into the U.S. Open uh, later this month. And right now we've got – I've got the tennis channel on right now. And you've got two Masters 100 tournaments uh, – 1,000 tournaments being played. Uh, the Canadian Open being – played simultaneously the men are in uh, Montreal and the women in Toronto. Mm-hmm. So, but with the Serena news dropping in the Vogue article, 
now all of a sudden all eyes are on tennis a little earlier than they normally would be. Um, and so very interesting. Um, you heard rumblings since since Wimbledon, actually even before Wimbledon when her coach, her former coach, uh, Patrick Moradoglu, okay, said that he wouldn't be working with her. He's now working with uh, Simona Halep. Mm. And, you know, there were, when, when he gave a, an interview, when he said he didn't, you know, he gave her a, a timeline. He wanted to know if she was going to play. And when she couldn't give him an answer, he decided to move on. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. And so, you know, you heard rumblings. Well, maybe she's not going to come back and play. And then she did announce that she was going to play Wimbledon uh, a few weeks before. She played doubles in a, in a warm-up tournament and then, you know, played a, a pretty decent match in that mm-hmm. first round at Wimbledon and lost to uh, Harmony Tan. But what you're seeing at Wimbledon and what you saw, what we saw tonight, she, uh, Serena lost to uh, Belinda Bencic, fantastic right. player from Switzerland. Um, and did what, she look like a woman that was on the verge of retiring tonight? Or did, did, did she look like someone that you thought maybe could still compete at a high level? Like how, how, how did she look tonight? Well, that's the thing. She looked like a top player who hasn't played a lot of matches recently. Mm. I didn't think, you know, she looked terrible. Yeah, I mean, she lost in straight sets. But again, she's playing a, a one-time ranked uh, Belinda Bencic, once ranked number four in the world, won the gold medal last year. So she's playing a top player early in a tournament. That's what happens when you're, you know, when your ranking takes a hit. Right. Um, and so after getting through her first round match, this is this is a tough to ask her and what her third 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 match this year really her third singles match this year so to ask her to go out there and play somebody of that caliber and produce the goods is is a big ask even for someone who is the greatest of all time um so she did look rusty she got off to a slow start in the first set and you know against any top player you get off to a slow start and before you've had a chance to process what's going on you're down a set right and so i didn't think serena played badly i just think you know, the rust is showing and maybe, you know, when she was at her peak, when she was at her most dominant, she could go long stretches of time without without playing and still work herself back into match shape in the middle, you know, right in the tournament. Not able to do that now at this stage in her career and it kind of showed tonight, but not a terrible loss, I didn't think. Gotcha. So now for, for those who are uninformed, Serena used a Vogue article to announced that this will be her last U.S. Open and then she will be retiring and retiring kind of because as me and you were speaking about before we started recording, it kind of sounds like she doesn't want to retire, but because she's embracing her role as a mother and as a woman that has a family, she's retiring, kind of kicking and screaming because she wants to provide her daughter with a sister. So with all of that, tied into now we're looking towards the U.S. Open, how much more pressure now does this put on Serena? Because now it's like, now the whole world knows. You, you don't do this article in Vogue to keep something on the low. Vogue is an international publication. She's saying this is going to be her last U.S. Open. From what you saw tonight, how much better can she fare in the U.S. Open? Like, is this going to be a one-and-done type thing? And then it's, it's the swan song? Or... Can she pull a Agassi? Can she pull a Mock and Roll or a Jimmy Connors and have a magical run one last time in Flushing Meadows? Okay, so here's the thing. Um, she still has a few weeks uh, to practice. I don't know um, what her schedule is. Uh, 
but I, I imagine she'll at the very least take a wild card into um, if she hasn't already one of the next few tournaments leading up to the U.S. Open. Because do I think she can win the U.S. Open? Look, I hate to say no to any goat of any sport. Mm-hmm. That's a really, really tough ask for someone who's played. Again, tonight was her third match in in over a year. Yeah, that's wow. a that's a lot to ask. Yeah. Um, but I do think that if she, you know, practices, uh, she's been at this a long time. She knows how to get prepared for a Grand Slam. Right. Uh, but if she does play in another another warm up tournament, um, w- with that and some good practice sessions. She could definitely win a few rounds at the U.S. Open, and you never know how the draw is going to be. You never know how. You know, there's no more exciting time in tennis than the first day of a Grand Slam, because it's you know okay, here we are, we're in a Grand Slam. It's you know one of four of the most magical times of the year in tennis, but also you know more often than not you're going to get one of those big upsets, right? You no. Know? Who, who's who's coming in? Is it going to be somebody that's coming in with all the momentum or, you know, a top player that's been struggling? You know, you never know. There's always a good storyline um, in a Grand Slam tournament, and a lot of times it's, you know, based off of an early upset. So I say this all this to say you never know how the, the, the brackets, the draw is going to break. So, you know, Serena comes in in some kind of decent condition and, you know, she reels off a, a couple of matches and – Whoever she's put in the draw with, you know, someone gets upset. You, you know, th- these right. things happen. These things happen, and then uh, you get those unlikely runs um, that we've seen players have late in their careers. Again, we're talking about someone who, if not for injuries and COVID, she mm-hmm. may have already tied that Grand Slam record, and it's also to be uh, considered. You know, Serena got ready for last year's Wimbledon and then in that first round match got injured. Right. And had to walk off the you know the court in tears. Yeah. And then didn't play the rest of the year and didn't play the beginning of this year. So mm-hmm. injury related. I say that to say it's not as if there's been this steady decline in her play. There have been a few factors, you know? Yeah. Usually with an athlete, it's you retire because your body is broken down or your skills have broken down, or you try to leave on top. And I feel like with Serena, it's kind of none of those. Like she's she's leaving from a, a you know, extracurricular, you know, motive. Like it has nothing to do with her. She's being selfless so from, a, from a career of, you know, I mean, you talked about it before, like just the sacrifices that it takes to, you know, she turned pro in 1995. According to my analytics, a lot of you listening right now weren't even alive when Serena turned pro. That's a long time at one thing. And the wear and tear, you can speak to it as a former player, the, the wear and tear it takes on your body. But just something you mentioned about her tearing up. You also said before off air that she teared up again tonight because they had a they had like a ceremony post-match. Can you can you walk us through that? Yeah, so after she lost tonight, um, the she did an on-court interview and Benchich was really nice. They interviewed her first and she kind of just answered one question and said, Hey, this is Serena. This is about Serena. So she kind of stepped out. Nice. Um, 
And, you know, Serena answered a few questions. And when asked um, what memories she'll take from from playing in Toronto, she got a little uh, choked up. Um, And also when asked, um, I think she was asked, how does she uh, put into perspective everything? And, you know, her daughter's in the crowd watching too. And it was just, you could tell it it was heavy for her. She tried. I noticed the way she answered a few questions. She tried to um, answer with this up, super upbeat excitement, and mm-hmm. I think a lot of that was to kind of get through the the, yeah. the interview because she knew yeah. she was already feeling some kind of way about it. Um, but yeah, after that, they presented her. Uh, I believe they said the Maple Leafs and the Raptors sent uh, some jerseys for her. They gave her the jersey with the number 22 since it's her last year in 2022. And they gave, okay. uh, they also gave jerseys for her daughter with the number five on it because her daughter uh, turns five, I believe, next month. Okay. Um, did the husband get a jersey? The husband did not get a jersey. He sat in the player box holding the little girl. Yeah. Still petty. Still All these years, still petty about losing That's Serena. It. He don't want to give the husband a jersey. God damn you, Drake. You lost, okay? I know you haven't lost a lot, but God Uh, damn. Even to the end. Petty to the end. Petty King, that Drizzy. Okay. I I, I want to jump in there, but it makes too much sense. In Toronto, takes the L. Raptors send over jerseys. I'm like, okay. One for Serena, obvious. One for the daughter. All right, cool, touching. Nothing for the husband. Come on, Drake. Do better. Do better. Wow. I, you know, I was sitting here watching that and I never even, th- only you would think something like that. Hey, it's only- just, I just have too much non-sports, quasi-sports stuff floating in my head of who was with who, who got dumped by who. Wow. It, 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 it is a sickness. Fandom is a mental illness. Me knowing sports, rapper, relationship stuff is also a mental illness. I, I fully admit to that. Uh, you know what? It's when you can use it for entertaining moments like this and then exactly. it pays off. Thank you for justifying my illness. I, I, I appreciate you for that. Yes, um, indeed. But yeah, they, you know, they gave her the, the, the jerseys and then uh, as she was leaving, they gave her the, uh, the bouquet of flowers and a nice, uh, dope. it's like some artwork of her, you know, from different moments over the years. And uh, you could tell it meant a lot to her and they, you know, they did a good job with that. They, they were clearly prepared in case she lost. And so, um, you know, nice moment there. That's dope. But, you know, walk, walk me through something here. Cause here's something I've always wanted to know. I only played tennis for one summer in, in Orlando. <laughs> you have played tennis for real, for real. She's been a pro since 1995. That's a hell of a long time. That's a lot of travel. That's a lot of court time. That's a lot of training. We see, we've seen her at her peak physique, how much sacrificing from a, from a training perspective you have to be to be in that kind of shape. To put herself through all this, I mean, she almost died giving childbirth just, and then just the wear and tear of just playing tennis and all the different surfaces and all of that. As a former player, can you give me and, me and my audience an, an insight into how much sacrifice from a personal perspective, a time perspective, relationship, like all, what does it take to put in the type of work that it takes to get, not even to the Serena level, but just to be on the path 
to think of tennis as a profession? Okay, so in the interest of being totally honest, I just wanted to make it clear. I, I didn't ever get anywhere near a a level in this sport. Um, I, I, listen, when you think about what Richard had to do, right? you know, you and I were talking before, and, and it was the way you framed it, the way you said something, it really kind of hit me because I know that I wanted to do this for a living. And to even get to club level or to try and get my coach to let me play in a tournament, it just requires so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it requires your time. It requires – I don't know what it's like now to try and bring um, a young child through a tennis circuit or through a tennis training now. I don't know if there's uh, more available. I, I imagine in this day and age there are more training facilities available and more oh, more ways to do it, but – to go through, you know, the the 80s and the 90s, trying to – two children, forget about right. one. Exactly. Get them onto the professional tennis circuit. I mean, I know what I what level I couldn't get anywhere near. And for them to have gone where they went, from Compton all the way to Wimbledon, is – it's mind-blowing. And – just the, the the things that Richard had to sacrifice to be able to do that. And and look, a lot of it he did himself. Right. You know, he was their, he was their first coach. And a lot of people think, you know, up until recently, you know, he was the man in charge, you know, and sure. just to get to that level requires so much time, so much money, so much sacrifice. Did I mention so much money? Um, <laughs> And it's got to be, you know, in a lot of ways, the only thing in your life. Like it is, it is an all day, all night, all life commitment. And I think it also explains a lot of times how some top athletes get burned out. Right. And one, it is amazing. Now, now the Williams sisters, both Venus and Serena, they've made sure to have other things going on in their lives, um, and. You know, you mentioned to me earlier about Serena Williams' 73 um, singles titles and uh, what is it, $94 million in... in yes, 94, 94 million total uh, payout in 73 grand slam, uh, 73 singles titles. Singles yeah, and a lot of that is, um, you know, nowadays the prize money is, is, is unbelievable, but for yeah. a lot of... You know, for Even a lot the, of the because what Osaka got fifty mil off yeah. well, the off the court. court yeah, she made half of what Serena made her entire fucking career. She's already beat half of that. Like it's crazy. Listen, a lot of that is because of you know the the prize money when Venus and Serena started, mm-hmm. and also uh, over the years the Williams sisters spread their schedule out. So, you know, you might not see Serena playing in, uh, you know, Parma, Italy in a 250 tournament. You know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? Uh, A lot of it was focused on Grand Slams and, you know, Tier 1000 tournaments as as their careers went on. So a lot of that is, is explained 
in that. But it's really amazing to think about how um, neither Venus nor Serena ever had a major burnout. Sure, they took time off from the tour, uh, changed their schedule, and I think that helped a lot. But to be grinding for several decades and at the highest level. (sighs) Yeah, grueling. Like that's that's my one gripe with the well, I have a lot of gripes with that movie. Um, but you know, I mean you spoke off air. And also, by the way, at the Sandy podcast on Instagram, uh put up a clip of the last time Magazu was on and talking about Serena Crip walk and all of that stuff. Um, follow the page. I'm gonna leave Agazi's uh social stuff in the podcast description, support him, support holding Sir podcast. But just the, the the sense of what that movie was supposed to be. Look, it was a Disney film, and it certainly looked and felt like a Disney movie. And that's why Will Smith was perfect for the role of Richard Williams, because it's a Disney, Disney-fied version of what and who Richard Williams actually was. But just, I just don't feel they hit it in the sense of understanding what they endured. And as someone as yourself that is a black man that tried to play tennis... I'm sure you have endured some of the same stuff that the Williams sisters and Richard and just that whole family going from tournament to tournament, coach to coach, court to court. What is that part like? I think that's something the movie didn't touch on. So I think that was a missed opportunity there. So from your perspective, from your purview, what is it like being someone that doesn't look like the norm showing up into those types of places, country club type settings and trying to play the sport that you still love just as much, if not as, if not more than the people that are chastising you or maybe giving you a second eye or don't understand why you're there. Like walk us through what that was like. Uh, again. Um, so there's levels to it. Right. Um, and working your way up. And I can tell you from the most, you know, basic tennis club or, or tra- you know, training facility in New Jersey, just being in a tennis club when you don't have a lot of money, this is especially during like my time, we're talking late nineties, right? Right. Um, being in a tennis club when you don't have a lot of money, it, it, it's a weird, weird feeling. Um, I can remember feeling uh, like I didn't belong. I can remember feeling resentful mm-hmm. all while at the same time trying to enjoy the game while right. learning it and while practicing. Um, and again, for them to come from Compton and work their way all the way up right. to you know the top of the tennis world, I can't even imagine. If I felt that out of place there and I didn't deal with you know nearly what they did. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that has to do with how good they were. Right. Um, you know, the better you are, the more of a threat you are, of you know, course. especially when, when they don't want you into place in the first place. Um, but, you know, in, in, in those tennis clubs, for the most part, everyone was, everyone was blonde, you know, and came for money. Right. And you could tell it. And for me at that point to think, you know, I, I talked to family about helping me get through it, it helping me th- get through uh, tennis training mm-hmm. financially. It just, you know, it, it didn't work out. 
Um, And at that point I had left, I had left college and I was working full time. And when I look back now, it is almost, it's adorable that I actually thought I was going to be able to work enough full time to pay for the training and then have time to train. It's just, oh God, it's just, you're getting, you're getting trucked in the race. You know what I mean? All the, all the cars are passing you and you've lost power. It's just, so, you know, for them, and you're right. They did. They did miss a lot of this in the movie. Um, yeah. Yeah, Richard. As Richard you pointed does, out, before, he just kept going to the same courts. He kept getting fucked up by thugs, quote unquote. And that's pretty much the only thing they had to overcome. And then him begging coaches to take them on. That's essentially what I got from the movie. And I'm like, yeah, their story is way is so much more captivating optically. That there's yeah. no way this is the best representation of the Williams sisters and their 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 story. Yeah, uh, it's fair to say it was uh, sanitized and, and rushed for sure. Because for what they had to endure, what he sacrificed, and also what he put them through. Yes, um, yes. Because that's not a that's not a you know child athlete. That's not a normal life. No matter what sport you're talking you're talking about. In and their relationship definitely had some ups and downs, especially as they got older. So, oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, but he was steadfast with that "us against the world" attitude, and you know it's hard to it's hard to argue with that when you see the dividends it paid off. I mean, we're talking about you know we don't even talk about Venus as much, right? Right, and you know she's got a trophy case too. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a lot of them in that trophy case. I mean, what? I mean, what? Serena's got 23. Venus has seven. She has seven. That's 30 slams between two sisters. And I mean, listen. And if it wasn't for Serena, I mean, Venus might have might have close to 23 her damn self if it wasn't for Serena. There you go. I mean, anybody that wins five five. Five, Wimbledon. five, five times at any major, but I mean, five times. And like you said, she lost so many, so many big matches, so many Grand Slam finals to her sister. Right. You know. Um, yeah. And so we don't even talk about Venus as much. Right. Seven, seven Grand Slam titles, one of the greatest players of all time, and she was really the. Um, she got this train going. You know, right, yeah, yeah. It she was, had to stand out there first. She was, it was her first, and you know, listen, Serena being the the fierce warrior goat that she is, mm-hmm. you know, Venus got the shine first. But who won a Grand Slam first? Little sister won a Grand Slam first. Ah, and I remember that was that was tough. For, that was tough for Venus. I bet. Well, you because know? you want to be happy for your little sister, but you right. know, I was supposed to win first. Yeah, you know? yeah, but. And, and she got hers, and I've I've thought of since since you were talking. Physically, how different they were. Hmm. Like Venus had the long, lanky. She fit like she looked like a tennis player. If mm-hmm. you told me that there was a there was a I don't know how tall she is, but she looks tall, lanky, serving volley game with some power, some slice. I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But then you look at Serena, shorter, stouter. She's fucking diesel. I'm like, that's not a tennis player. Mm-hmm. But the backhand is ridiculous. The forehand is sick. 
the fucking service coming at you 100 plus miles an hour. It's a power game. Whereas Venus kind of seemed like more the traditional, and I could be off, so clearly correct me if I'm wrong, but from my layman's point of view, it felt like Venus was a more of a traditional tennis player, as it says, called Martina, Steffi, all of those prior, whereas Serena was like bully ball. Just fucking, Mm -hmm. here's 105 down the line, I dare you to return this shit. And I'm just going to keep feeding it to you. Am I off there or am I on to something? So you're right about Venus having the, uh, from those standards of years past, the tennis player look, the tennis player body. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot throughout Serena's career, a lot's been made about the way she looked. Right. You know what I mean? Which, which I always enjoyed the fact that people were so... Uh, fixated on her body or fixated on certain outfits that she wore during the tennis tournament. Meanwhile, she was trucking people. Yes. Yes. Trucking people. And like you said, yeah, a lot of it was bully ball, but a lot of those matches, you go back and watch Serena's, you know, moving better than all of her opponents. Doing drop shots. Drop shots, covering the court, moving, you know, forward and backwards, side to side, just trucking people. And so even though she, you know, um, has, I guess, a different look from old traditional tennis, Mm -hmm. she had it everywhere. She had every facet of her game was at the the very top. I mean, there's nothing, you know, I can remember matches watching Serena break down and, and, um, you know, one of her shots would break down or she would inexplicably lose a match. And I'd be watching and I would be convinced that she was doing it on purpose. And that's not to say she's a dog and she was throwing matches. It's just right. you'd be watching her and she was just so much better than everyone else. Yeah. You know, she had that. And it's funny because I can when, when when I compare goats, I didn't I didn't watch Margaret Court. You know, she okay. before my time and in, in, in an era of black and white, that, black and white footage. Yeah, and in an era of tennis where, listen, if we're being honest, the athlete was not as good as most athletes are today. Right. Um, and the the equipment in tennis has changed. The game has changed. The way it's played has changed. It's more of a power game now, so it's hard. But when I was uh, when I look at the two goats, it was always. You know, it was Navratilova, then it was Steffi, mm-hmm. and for a long time it was Steffi Graf. Until, right. and I was still giving her that title until Serena passed her on the Grand Slam list because I felt like that was all, you know, that was all that was missing. That was all that was separating the two. You know, Steffi, I thought, anyone else. I don't know I would give them their due just yet because Steffi Graf won 22 Grand Slam titles with a slice backhand. Mm. She is someone that played most of her career. You can go back and watch whole matches where she never hit through the ball on her backhand side. It was all slice backhands. So she relied on using that slice and then running around and hitting a forehand. And that's very hard to do. That's taking a shot away from yourself. Having to make a a, a largely defensive shot, about it like that. That's yeah. Like, having to make the slice 
which is largely a defensive shot or an approach shot if you're a net player, having to make that her number two shot Mm. and just relying on such good footwork to get to her forehand where then she would thump it. And so, excuse me, when Serena passed her on the list, I kind of felt like that's it. Right. There's the GOAT. Nobody better. Forehand, backhand, serve, power game, net play. I mean, so at, at her peak, was there any weakness? If you had to nitpick, if you had to, if you had to coach a player to go up against peak Serena, what would be your, what, what would have been your advice, your game plan to how to attack and beat peak Serena, catsuit Serena? Oh my catsuit Serena! Um, boy, oh boy, you know it's hard to tell somebody to. I try and out hit her because mm. you run you run the risk of running out of bullets. You know, for mo- for most people, that's that's bringing a knife to a gunfight. Mm-hmm. Um, at her peak, she's moving so well too. You, man, that's tough. That's really hard. That's a good question to ask. How you would coach against peak Serena? I mean, you're gonna need somebody that's not gonna make a lot of errors, going to have to play a lot of good defense mm. and try and wear her down. Wow. Try and wear her down. You know, you tire somebody out, that's when shots start to go. But yeah. her peak, I mean, another reason I like to, you know, look at her career side by side with uh, Steffi Graf is when Serena was at her peak, it would almost be funny to watch some of these uh, early Grand Slam matches the way she would just dismiss people off the court. Mm. You know, you watch a lot of matches that Steffi played, and you feel bad for the opponent. I can remember the commentators, you know, you go back and watch the most Steffi Groff matches, the commentators joking about Steffi having, the plane to, uh, having a plane to catch that <laughs> same day and playing like she had to get out of there. When you look back, she won the 88 French Open. She beat... Uh, Natasha's uh, Zvereva, and she beat her six love, six love. Mm. Love and love. Imagine you, imagine you get to a Grand Slam final and you don't want a game. Love and love in a final. Love and love in a final. Fucking a. That was eighty eight. That was eighty eight. Yeah, nineteen eighty eight when she won. So only that's about the only thing Serena didn't do was win all four majors in a calendar year. Gotcha. But twice in her career, she's been the holder of all four. Okay. So yeah, if you what if you That's win the U.S. Game. Open and then win the first three the next year, you're holding all four. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I mean, twenty three majors. She's won every Grand Slam, I think, three times. Um, and that's cool. different surfaces. That's different times of the year. There's different weather, different climates. Like that. That's that alone. Once you add in the layers of the surfaces, the obviously the competition in all four of those, like that adds so much more to it that you're winning on different surfaces multiple times. Like three times I've won on clay. I've won on grass. I've won on hard court. There's not a surface I haven't won the highest prize. And that, that right there is amazing to me. You know, we often talk in, in team sports about – um, how difficult it is 
playing on the road or how difficult it is uh, having to, you know, travel. We might be talking about, oh, well, the Nets have to travel to Dallas mm-hmm. and then, you know, from Dallas to Houston, whatever, whatever. So it's a, you know, air quotes, tough road trip, right? Right. So you're winning Grand Slams in Australia, Paris, France, London, England, and New York City. Right. You're all over the place, and the season never ends. There's like three, three, four weeks of December where there's nothing going on. You know, you might have uh, that last, you know, last low level tournament the first week in December. Mm-hmm. You know, but really, December is really the only off time in tennis because the Australian Open starts late January. And if it starts late January, you got to start playing warm-up tournaments in the Australian summer right at the beginning of the year. Damn. And that's when the grind starts. So you want to talk about, you know, playing on the road and having, you know, travel. I mean, different country. Right. Wow. You know, everyone played everyone played London a few weeks ago. Now they're, they were in San Jose and D.C. last week. Uh, Toronto and Montreal this week. Then the men go to Cincinnati next week. And then, you know, the, I don't know if people factor that part into it. They don't, because I know I didn't. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, I knew of the travel, but not since, since you laid it out like that. Like, that puts a lot of things in perspective. If you're Serena now, yeah, you're probably flying private. Sure. But yeah. if, you know, you just broke into the top 10 and you're doing well and you're on your way to – you know, making your first Grand Slam final, you're still trucking it with your, you know, with your coaches or whoever. Right. You know, commercial. Main cabin. Main cabin, passport getting stamped in a, you know, different place every other week. It, it's wow. It's a rough life. That goes back to what you were asking about, you know, the grind and everything that, you know, Richard, Venus, Serena, their whole family right. had to go through. That's 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 a lot. And yeah. – Sure. You know what's what's interesting, and you pointed it out when when the Vogue, uh, in the Vogue article, um, at forty one, or is she 40, 40 going on forty one? I forget. Uh, she's got a birthday next month. Yeah. Well, as she mentioned tonight, she doesn't celebrate birthdays. Um, oh, because she's Jehovah, right? She's Jehovah's Witness. Yeah. Gotcha. They, they, you know, they gave her the jersey for her kid, and you say, "Oh, her birthday's next week." Oh, we don't celebrate birthdays, but thank you. Um, it's kind of made me laugh, but um, yeah. So at this age, and she, you know, when you read that Vogue Drake article, should have knew that. Why did he let them do that? <laughs> we're blaming it on uh, Petty Poppy, right? Yeah. Um, you know that the the thing that jumped out, and you pointed this out to me when I'm reading that Vogue article right from the jump. Um, hey guys, uh, I I, I kind of think she doesn't want to retire. Right. Um. You know, usually you get an athlete at this point. Yeah, it's hard to retire from a sport you love, but usually, you know, people are run down at this point. And, right. Um, and women don't usually play this this late in their careers. For sure. Especially and, in the sport like tennis, as you mentioned earlier, like this, this sport, you know, it kind of eats its young paws in the sense of, you know, you have to get in so early. It's so early for you to determine whether you're good enough or not. And then by the time you're like in your mid twenties, you're either washed up or you need to find, you know, either you're prosperous, you're either prosperous or you're already done and you need to find a whole nother career. So the fact that she's 40 
Yeah, I mean, listen, when I grew when I grew up watching tennis, when you were thirty, you were you were you were washed. Right. You're done. It was like there's no there's no talk of this. And what's funny is, you know, yeah, Connors played U.S. Open you know, late, but it wasn't a consistent. He wasn't playing a, cons- a consistent grind every year. He had a you know a couple good runs uh, in his older, old, I don't want to say older age, but in his uh, later years. Um, that's why when Agassi played at such a high level, you know, until thirty six, he was just so revered for it because he could still go out there. He was still in great shape. He could still go out there and grind. Um, I'm trying to think. I was watching um, the 05 U.S. Open, and that was Agassi's last Grand Slam final. He ran all the way to the final. He would have bad back and and then lost to Federer. And, uh, you know, they're going to one of the commercial break, and um, I want to say Dick Enberg was was calling it, but it's – the old man still has some fight as they're going to commercial. And it's like, bro, he's 35. Like, now we look at that and go, how ridiculous is that? Yeah. You know? I mean, imagine those guys on HGH, like how some of these guys. Oh, <laughs> my bad. I didn't mean to put that out there. Nope. Uh, but, you but, know, uh, Serena being 40 is amazing. I just I, I just wanted to confirm. She is 40. Birthday, as you said, is next September month. 26th. 26th. September 26th, about to be 41 out here playing in a Grand Slam. Or fresh off a Grand Slam. And, you know, in the article, she she talks about uh, overhearing her daughter wishing or or praying before bed for a little sister. Right. And, you know, it not being the first time that her daughter has said that. And I don't want to use the word obligation uh she worded things a, a lot better in the in the article but you know she talked about wanting to uh, spend more time with family and maybe grow her family for sure and she mentioned how she loves being a woman but you know this is kind of the part that sucks because male athletes can play as long as they want they don't have to you know take time, time years off if they want to have a baby. You know, it's just right. business as usual because, you know, because biology said so, right? And right. so she mentioned uh, she mentioned Tom Brady um, in the article. And the, yeah, and the interesting thing is that, you know, Brady retired after last year and then right. we saw how long did that last, right? A couple of months. But again, this is what's afforded to you when you're male, right? When you're a male athlete, like he could say, "Well, you know, even if you know, say Tom Brady and his wife wanted to have another kid, he doesn't have to be retired for that." No, he just has to try drop it off. <sighs> yeah, he just has to drop it off, and then you know, unfortunately, now <laughs> you were going to say that. <laughs> yeah, he just has to drop it off in Giselle, maybe a surrogate, however they're doing it these days, and then you yeah, know, nine months later, boom. And, you know, you, you never want to um, ask somebody about something so so personal um, or about their, you know, their journey with, you know, having kids. We right. know what it is when, when a woman is, is 41 years old, how difficult that can be. And Serena has talked about, you know, her near death yeah. Um, yeah. when she gave birth to her daughter. Crazy. You know? 
So I don't know, you know, if, you know, what her plans are to have another baby to you, you know, you mentioned uh, surrogacy. I don't know. And I don't really think that at this point it's anyone's place to ask her. I don't it's yeah, really no. not, not ever anyone's place to ask her, but you know, she clearly uh, wants to do this for her daughter. You know, I mentioned she's got her, her and Venus have always had outside ventures, you know, things outside businesses, things going on outside of tennis. Um, but it just really stood out a lot. Right. She didn't seem to be, you know, going willingly. You know, it's like, yeah, it'd be nice to, to I don't want to make it seem like she's not going to. She doesn't want to spend time with her family or she doesn't want to grow her family, but it's just, it's difficult. And when she mentioned, you know, being a woman and mentioned Tom Brady, that, that really stuck with me because she wouldn't, she wouldn't have to choose, you know, True. if she, if she were a man. So that seemed to be tough. And I think that's, you know, a lot of this, it kind of explains also why she was emotional tonight when, when they gave her that send off in Toronto because this is really difficult for her. She won't even say retirement. Um, you know, she called it transitioning to a different part of her life or or whatever it was. Um, but this seems to be really, really difficult. And like you said, being a pro for, you know, almost three decades now, um, this has been the majority of her life. Not just the majority of her life in years, but just consuming, just you know, out, minutes and hours of her days were put into this life, and to be walking away is is you know it's got to be difficult for anyone. But when you've dominated the game the way she has, and you know, for many years, you could argue and say she was the game. I mean, she's the one that was selling tickets. Let's not forget. Let's not forget that sports. You know, this is a business. I watched that match tonight. And you couldn't find a seat in that stadium in Toronto, right? And I, you know, this is a this is a a one thousand tournament, so it's it's a big tournament that does well. But I would love to know what those walk up numbers were when, uh, or what those last minute online ticket purchases were, what those numbers were like once she announced her retirement. And I'd like to see if she commits to playing any tournament before the U.S. Open, what those what those numbers are like. Yeah, like that's this. This is something where, <clears throat> when you're watching greatness and in sports, sometimes we're allowed to watch our athletes. Like we saw Jordan hit the shot against Utah, and we thought, "Oh, that's the most perfect storybook ending," but for him, it wasn't. He had to come back. He had to come back, and he needed to scratch that itch, and he had to come back as a wizard, and. For me, as a as a kid that grew up as a Bulls fan and got off that mental illness shortly thereafter, I couldn't stand watching him be a wizard. Even though he got buckets, even though he hit game winners, even though he gave you moments, it just didn't hit the same. And sometimes, you know, as we as we spoke about earlier, sometimes the game will let you know it's time. Sometimes your body will let you know it's time, and sometimes your mind will let you know it's time. And again, these things haven't happened with Serena. As you mentioned in the Vogue article, she's bringing up Tom Brady. We know what type of time he's on. We know how he was trying to manipulate his way out of Tampa to go be the 
you know, front office exec of the Dolphins and magically be the starting quarterback for the Dolphins. We know all of this. So it's like, it's obviously her sacrificing her livelihood for motherhood. It's her choosing her daughter and her potential second daughter over breaking records, chasing more limelight, more fanfare. She could drag this out. She could have said, I'll retire next year. But clearly by saying this upcoming Grand Slam at the U.S. Open is going to be it, she's trying to get this popping right away. Like she's trying to get a, a sister to her daughter ASAP. And it's just such a, we're kind of, if we don't get a magical run at the U.S. Open, if we don't get that moment of like one last hurrah for Serena, it just seems very abrupt. It just seems very like she's here today, gone tomorrow type thing. And even though she is the goat of goats, and I think most savvy sports fans realize that, I feel like the casual sports fan is not going to understand the greatness that is walking away in a few weeks because it's just quick, abrupt. All right, you know what? I'm just going to go be a mom. I really want to give my daughter the gift of having a sister like I had a sister, multiple sisters. So, all right, you know what? 23 Grand Slams, 73 titles, 94 million, X amount of dollars in endorsements. I'm the goat of goats. I wore the cat suit. I crip walked at its own center court. What more is there? You know what? I'm going to just do so on everybody and just be out. Are we... Are the casual fan missing that farewell tour? Or let me see if I can phrase it better. Is the lack of a a traditional farewell tour not going to make this bon voyage inclusive? Because casual fans are not going to really understand the gravity of who's walking away in a few weeks. Uh, If casual fans uh, aren't getting that, I, I feel really bad for them. Uh, you know, they mentioned in the uh, on-court interview after Serena lost uh, tonight, <clears throat> excuse me, um, they mentioned Tracy Austin, uh, former U.S. Open champion, and she works uh, does the broadcast. Uh, she mentioned she was appreciative of Serena giving us a heads up so now we can savor those last few minutes. So it was cool of her to kind of not say in tournament or, you know, the the day before the last tournament, this is going to be it. So we do have, sure, a couple of weeks. She played, uh, you know, last week and this week. Um, don't know what she's playing between now and the U.S. Open. But you're right. It does still feel abrupt um, for people who know tennis and people who appreciate the sport. You realize what we're losing here. For the casuals that don't, I don't know if we have a no. We you know we do have enough time, you know, to get out, to get the message out, to get this out. This is right. the greatest tennis player, you know, the greatest like female tennis player, whatever. She's one of the greatest greatest athletes of all time, and she is leaving the game. We're not going to see her play anymore. This mm-hmm. this is a big deal. I'm going to the U.S. Open this year. I hope I get to see her. Um. I hope I get to see her one more time. Obviously, I have no way of knowing this, you know, not the schedule. We won't know until a few days before, you know, right. um, what night she's playing. But I'm going to certainly make sure that I, you know, 
try to right. at least see her once. This is, you know, once in a lifetime. This is, like you said, from <laughs> Compton and Crip walking on center court. Yeah. I get the feeling that's one of your favorite sports moments. Oh, it's it's it. That's I, – I, I've watched Jordan win six championships. I've watched Tom Brady win seven championships. You know, I, I've I've watched dynasties in all four professional sports and in college football and basketball. I have watched Tiger Woods dominate. I have seen a black golfer, and I've seen black tennis players both dominate dominate individual sports that weren't to be thought of as their sport or our sport. And as great as Tiger Woods was when he was killing shit and he had the tiger slam and the Nike ads. And he made, he made brothers want to get out there and actually play golf and not just mini golf for a date night, like actual golf, go to a driving range. It still ain't, it's not the Williams sisters and more and more specifically, it ain't Serena. What Serena was able to do culturally, I think she's done. I think that's another part that, I think we spoke on the last time you were on their impact culturally, I think has been more penetrating pause than tiger in golf. I think tiger, even though he leaned into his blackness when he had to, when you're from Compton, it just oozes out of you. There's no, Oh, let me talk the Compton away. It's no, I, this I'm wearing beads they're going to fly all over the court when I'm running baseline to baseline. Fuck it. I'm still going to win love and love, and we moving on to the next round. Ball boys and girls, sweep up them beads and make sure to give them back to my mom because she's going to do my hair tonight. You know what I'm saying? So, like, I felt like culturally they were more tapped in. Now, Venus, I don't know how tapped in she was. She seemed outwardly not, quote, with the culture. I don't buy into that, but Serena popping up in the Beyonce video had a little thing allegedly with Drake like she was of the culture she moved around a little bit and it seemed like she was more of one of us than say Serena to a certain extent so you know I think for me she is the goat of goat she is the most impactful athlete of my lifetime and yeah, just like you, if I can get out there to flush your medals, I'm going to try to people one last time as well. Yeah, and for 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 the casuals, like you mentioned before, um, this is gonna. I know you say fan fandom is an illness. This is gonna hurt, like when Jordan really retired. You know what I mean? This will. This is gonna hurt, like when. Tom Brady really does leave the game. This is going to hurt like when Federer and Nadal leave the game. I won't hurt when Djokovic leaves the game. I appreciate what he's done. You know I had to get one in on him. Um, yeah, this is this is icon level. You know, this is, this is Mount Rushmore of women's tennis level. Um, and so, you know, the thing about the Vogue article too is – when when a when an athlete retires especially one that you really really like or appreciate when they retire you know it sucks for you as a fan that enjoyed watching them 
or enjoyed covering them. But when an athlete tells you, listen, I want to go start a family or I'm done, I've had enough or my body's broken down, you, you, you understand, you can feel for them and you say, listen, you know, we appreciate you. You gave everything you had, you know, hats off to you. We salute you. To hear one of the biggest names in the sports history, to hear that she doesn't really want to retire, but she's retiring. As a fan, that kind of hurts even more because it's like you already selfishly don't want them to go. But then when they seem like they don't want to go either, you know, it feels like, hey, we're getting jobbed here, you know? Right. Like, like what the fuck? Like, I, if you still want to do this, I still want to watch. So, and again, if Serena, you know, say Serena injury-free could lay out a good schedule for herself for the year, you know, practicing and playing those reps. Again, I'm not saying this like it's, it's the easiest thing in the world. I'm just saying, say she's injury-free right now and she lays out a schedule where she's getting to uh, – play a decent or sufficient amount of tournaments, she could certainly threaten for another Grand Slam or two. I firmly believe that because we're talking about levels here. And in order for her to drop off, you got to remember, this is somebody who was levels above the rest. Right. And so even when you drop off, you know, that drop-off isn't as, as, as far as it is for someone, you know, a far lesser player. You know what I mean? Her 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 75% on most days was good enough for the win. And so I just, I just think that if she had, if she was able to lay out a schedule and, and be relatively injury-free, she could still contend for majors. And it just... Again, that's that that's the major takeaway for me from the Vogue article is just like she's not not really into this retirement. And so it just it just kind of stings a little more as a as a tennis fan, as a sports fan. And I hope that I know the US Open, you know, when she's when she's playing, I know they're going to have their highest ratings. I know that uh they're going to th- the sessions are going to be packed on Arthur Ashe Stadium. Um I know the merch is going to sell out if they have some, you know, Serena's farewell shirts or or whatever the hell. It'll be major box office for the U.S. Open one more time, but it's still it's still going to suck. If you had to point a casual to a match or to a favorite moment of yours that kind of encapsulates what Serena was as a player or as an athlete or whatever, as a tennis goddess. Well, well, what's a moment or a match that sticks out to you as something that's like a must watch for a casual or someone who just wants to get educated on how great Serena is and was? What am I? Let me think. Oh, man, that's uh, that one's a that's a tough one. Um, When you're dealing with someone who's, you know, the greatest in, in their sport. Uh, they're the greatest for a reason. It's because they've given you so many moments. Um, I'm kind of partial to that run where she, uh, when she won her first major. I mean, she was 17. Everyone was looking at at Venus. Mm. 
And little sister was right there. And when she beat Hingis in that final, just. Oh, shout out to Hingis. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> Oof. Um, you know, Richard had been crowing and crowing about Venus, but he would also say the younger one's going to be better. Right. He always said that, which I always, felt, I always thought was kind of weird because I, I, I wondered how Venus felt about that. True. And you how know, did Richard like, know? Yeah. <laughs> he knew something. He definitely knew what he was talking about. And uh, the amount of people that have had to say that for, you know, three decades is that list goes on and on and on. Mm-hmm. But um, so I am partial to that. Um, the second and third French Open wins. Um, you know, Serena won the French Open first in. 2002, as part of what was called the Serena Slam, she won. Uh, that was when she won all four majors, but not, like not in in a calendar year. Right. Um, but after that, you know, Serena went. She went a long time before she won the French Open again. Now, listen, winning the French Open one time. Is, is is a hell of an accomplishment. But check this out. When you look at her dominance, the gap between she won her first French Open in 2002, her second French Open in 2013, and her third French Open in 2015. And knowing that, you know, she dominated on all surfaces, but knowing that, you know, out of all the surfaces, that would be, that would be I can't say worst. I mean she's won she's a three time French Open champion, but like it's not her best out of the three. You know, hardcore, grass court, yeah. Um and if you're not a clay native, if you didn't grow up in a country where you grew up on a clay court, like a Nadal, the drop off is especially tough. It gets harder and harder to play on clay the older you get because it requires so much physicality. Right. And the movement, it's totally different moving on clay. Not so a lot of see, clay in Compton. Not a lot of clay in Compton at all. Yeah. Um, and to, so to see that, to see after, you know, 11 years, her win the French again, and then cap it off with a third run in 2015, um, I always found that to be special. Um, and there's also a special place for, I don't want to say her last Grand Slam, because hopefully she runs off and, you know, wins the U.S. Open uh, this year. You know, we can hope, we can wish, but uh, up until now, her her last Grand Slam win, the 2017 Australian Open, uh, for a number of reasons. You know, the Venus and Serena matches were never my favorite because oftentimes, you know, the box office was bigger than the actual match. It was bad tennis, right? From exactly. from a viewing was- perspective. Oh yeah, it was it was always tough for the two of them to play each other. Mm-hmm. Um, even in matches where the match went, you know, three sets, you know, it wasn't always the best tennis because the two of them didn't like playing each other, and it you know it reflected a lot in the in the level of play. Um, Do you buy into the conspiracy theory of oh they used to fix matches in regards to all right I'm gonna let Serena win this time, all right I'm gonna let Venus win or whatever? Do you buy into that theory at all? 
No, I don't. I don't buy into that. Um, I always thought. I always thought that was people either just trying to drum something up, or I always thought that was Richard messing with people. Gotcha. Just because he could, you know. Yeah. You know, Richard burst into this space that he and his daughters were not supposed to be into, and it got. I don't want to say easy, but they were making it look easy, and I think that Richard had a lot of fun. Right. Well, you know, it was that, that was his dance puppets dance moment, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I don't buy into that. The two of them are world class athletes, world class competitors, um, and I just don't see that because if that's the case, then you know, who decided in those matchups? Who decided it was going to be so? lopsided right. in favor of Serena. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's just and especially them being so competitive just to get to that point. Now they're gonna be fixing stuff. Now they're gonna lay yeah. down and all right, I'm found Venus now I'm gonna let just Serena just walk all over me just off the no, strength. No. Like I don't yeah, buy it. So we were going yeah, I, I just I don't buy it at all. Um you know I I'm not too jaded or I'm not too naive to think that you know, shady shit doesn't go on behind the scenes in, in sure. sports, but um, people throw that around a lot. And mm-hmm. you got to be careful because, believe it or not, there are a lot of athletes that take what they do seriously, you know? Yeah. It's yeah, a matter yeah. of an, a matter of an, an integrity. Um, but that 2017 Australian Open final was – that whole tournament was special. Number one, you hadn't had – on the men's side, you hadn't had Federer – and the doll in a while. The two of them had both dealt with injuries. Federer was on a huge drought for him. He'd gone several years without winning a Grand Slam. And all of a sudden, the two of them charged to the finals. And it was like, you know, it was back to back to old times. And uh, in fact, that year, the two of them dominated the slams. Federer won the Australian and Wimbledon. The doll won the French in, in the U.S. Open. So it really was like old times. But that was a special... Uh, special weekend, Federer and Nadal went five sets that weekend in the Australian Open final. And then the day before that, you know, Serena has maintained a high level for many, many years. We've seen more of a drop off with Venus. She was always the one, you know, again, it's hard. I don't want to discredit her seven grand slams and, and lost a whole lot of them to, to her sister, but there was never you know, that, that drop-off with the level of play like it was with Venus. You didn't see that in Serena. Um, and so in 2017, for Venus to storm all the way to the Australian Open final, where she wasn't really still making finals, and her best chance to do that was always on grass at Wimbledon. Um, and for her to make that final, get all the way to the final of the Australian Open, and she's facing Serena. Again, just like the men's tournament, it's like old times again. It felt like old times. You tell me we're getting Venus Serena on a Friday night here in the U.S., and on a Saturday night we're getting Federer and Nadal. It's like, where do right. I sign up? Exactly, you know? yeah. Um, and Serena wins that one for number 23 to pass Steffi Groff, and then we later find out she was pregnant. Right. At yeah. the time, I always got a kick out of that. Like, little bonus, yeah. Yeah, I mean, her daughter's got more Something grand like slams it. than I do. Exactly. I mean, listen, Crazy. if we want to be technical, right? Yeah, facts. No, I mean, she, she, yeah, yeah. You know, she was, she was there with her mom. So, yeah, I always, I always just got a kick on it. I don't know how 
that works or what you're feeling that early in the pregnancy. I'll never know about that, but it's still to me just an incredibly cool fact to know she won that grand slam while she was pregnant. I don't care how early it was. I don't care if she found out that day. That's still cool yeah, to me. That's still amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Agazi Georges is, is my guest. He is the host of the Holding Serve podcast. He is a tennis analyst. Uh, he is a friend. He is a supporter of the brand and what we're building here. Um, last last one for you here, and I appreciate the deep dive. If you really wanted to tap in on who Serena is as a person, as a as an athlete, as a as a cultural icon, I think he's done a great job breaking it down here. But but one last one for you. Where as as we talked about her ascension and now a very abrupt exit from the game. What is she leaving behind in terms of the game of tennis, even from a just an overall perspective? Because her impact was on both men and women, in my opinion. So what what is she leaving in her wake now that she's deciding eventually to step away after the U.S. Open? Well, I think as she leaves, I think the the women's game is in good hands. Um, Serena's leaving. Uh, Venus doesn't play as much. Uh, beginning of the year, we saw the world number one, Ash Barty. She retired. Speaking of, you know, retiring, she's, you know, 25 years old, number one in the world, wins the Australian Open and says, I'm good. Yeah. You know, goes and gets married last week. Good for her. But that opens the door for, you know, a lot of other women to get their shine. Um, you know, you look at where the game is. You see Naomi Osaka. I know she's she's Japanese, but she's you know she's black. Yep. There's the influence there. You see Sloane Stevens, who's a U.S. Open champion. Yeah. She's still out. She's still battling to find her game. I watched her play uh, last last night. She's still got it. You know, she's not. Players go through through struggles and and highs and lows, and she's still competing at a high level, and I think we'll see her in in, in a, another slam final. You've got Madison Keys, and you've got Coco Goff. Love Coco. Love Coco. Coco getting to her, got to her first major final this year. Um, so you, I just named four, well, three young uh, black American women tennis players. Mm-hmm. All influenced by Serena Williams and Osaka, and it's not just about you know who she's other black women she's influenced. When you look at the game right now and the way it's played largely, um, there is a lot of power in women's tennis. So when you turn on a match right now, I've got the tennis channel on. I'm watching uh, Bianca Andrescu. The uh, 2019 U.S. Open champion from Canada. Um, gotcha. You want to talk about powerful ground strokes? Again, mm-hmm. you're seeing that influence. Really, anytime you turn on turn on the TV and you're watching a women's match, because that's how the game is played. You have players that play, you know, a different style, but by and large, you didn't used to see power like this. You know, maybe one or two players hit a little bit harder than. But man, oh man, you talk about changing a game. Both the Williams sisters came on and brought a power game that was never uh, never seen before in women's tennis. 
And, you know, when you when you couple that with it, they did everything else at the highest level. At times it was unfair. But with that influence, I think Serena, you know, as fans, we still uh, bear the fruits of her labor. And so I think she, uh, even in retirement, she still has is still uh, very very present in the game, very right. present in the game based on what what she's given back to the sport. Agazi Georges, host of the Holding Surf podcast, all his information for social media handles will be down in the podcast description. Agazi, two for two, man. You, you've coming on here twice. It's been Serena. It's been Naomi Osaka. It's been the game of tennis. It's you sneaking in jabs at Djokovic. It's been all of that, and you have done it yet again, my friend. It's, it's, it's listen, been a pleasure can, as always. Can I throw something else in about Djokovic? Oh, wow. Sure. Go ahead. All right. Listen, this idea, you know, from the Djokovic fans that, oh, well, you know, it's not fair what they're doing to him. And, you know, Nadal passed him on the – Nadal's the Grand Slam uh, leader. Right. And, you know, well, if Djokovic was allowed to play in Australia this year and if he was allowed to play the U.S. Because as of right now, he's not able to play the U.S. Open. Uh, right. That's not a tennis thing. The United States does not allow anyone into the country that's not from here unless they've been vaccinated. Yes. And that new. is a backstory. If, if if you don't know, Djokovic has refused. He's been steadfast. He's been on that Kyrie. He's been on that Aaron Rodgers. He does not. He's been on that Cole Beasley. He does not want to get vaccinated. He has refused it. So he has had to forfeit uh, tournaments or just not show up for Grand Slams because he would not be allowed because of his stance of not wanting to get vaxxed. I just want to give people the backstory. Continue. Absolutely. And, you know, that wasn't the case in Paris or in London. Uh, he was allowed to play there, lost in the doll in the quarterfinals of the French, and, you know, won Wimbledon a few weeks ago. But, you know, good for him. Good for him. He won Wimbledon where he was allowed to play. But here's the thing. None of this is new. Right. This is, you know, we're, what, year three into this thing or yeah. whatever, or, or yeah. year two with, with with a vaccine. It's fine if you don't want to take it. That is your right. Sure. They got a right to say you're not coming in my house right. if you're not. Exactly. And those are the rules. He was he was and, basically a, a, a super spreader at a party. He was positive. He had tested positive, and he still went out to a public event or some sort of public party or something like that. Like, he's been yeah, very right. He's got himself nailed to the cross, you know, the ultimate martyr. Meanwhile, he was so responsible that he knowingly did an in-person interview for some magazine knowing that he had tested positive. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't want to hear that he's been uh, treated unfairly or vilified. These are the same rules for everyone, depending on what country they're playing in. And that's that the same rules apply to, to Nadal in Australia. He chose to get vaccinated. So he had the opportunity. See, see everyone, everyone has their fraud. I have the point fraud as my fraud. And Agassi has his fraud, which is Novak Djokovic. Now he's Novak Djokovic is accomplished, is an immortal player, is a Hall of Famer, is all that stuff. But to Agassi, he knows how to pinpoint his fallacies and to tear them down. Just like I do with the CBA circumventing, nut-punching, Julius Hodge molesting fraud that y'all call Christopher Emmanuel Paul. So, you know, everyone has their fraud. And I love the fact that Agazi on his own podcast took a whole episode damn near lambasting uh, Djokovic. So 
I'm not the only one. Y'all think I'll be wilding when I go crazy on the point fraud. Everyone, when, when you're locked into your sport of choice, like how Agazi and I are, you're always going to find the guy that just gets under your skin, pause, and just you feel like, no, this guy does not deserve the praise, does not, does not deserve the fanfare, does not deserve all the accolades that are being hoisted upon them. So for me, it's the point fraud. For Agazi, it's Novak Djokovic. And that's why we do this. That's why we crack mics. That's why we put out content. That's why me and him collaborate and chop it up like this. Agazi, any last words for the audience? Obviously, Hold and Serve podcast, you're, 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 you're bringing that back. We're happy about that. Uh, talk to the people, anything you want to promote, anything you want to leave the people with on this latest episode of the The Sandy Podcast. Uh, yeah, like you said, uh, the Holding Serve podcast, uh, I am bringing it back. As you know, uh, I took some extended time off, um, Yep. Uh, some health and, and family stuff. So, um, But it'll be good to be back. And what better time to, to bring it back than yeah. at a time when the greatest of all time is, is leaving the game. Um, and we're heading into the fourth major of the year, fourth Grand Slam of the year. Um and like I said, I'll be going to the U.S. Open, so hopefully uh, I'll come back with uh, some good some good stuff for the podcast. But sure. uh, yeah, excited to bring that back. Excited to come on here and um, and talk to you about anything. But I, you know, especially love and appreciate that you bring me on here to talk tennis. Um, and yeah, if anyone uh, can follow me, uh, Holding Serve Podcast. You can, you can search that on all uh, podcast platforms. Yep. Um, and my Instagram and Twitter is uh, at Radio Agaz, A-G-A-Z. I know you said you'll put it in the uh, yep, in the I whatever in the call podcast it. description. Yep, it's down there. Yep. That's the technical term, the podcast, whatever. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, again, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Anytime you want to uh, give me a ring, I'm glad to come on and uh, definitely want to come back and love to come back after the U.S. Open and, and – Maybe tie a little bow on the U.S. Open and, and sure. talk a little bit about the upcoming NBA season because you know you know how our text messages are. It's uh, you got some hot takes to to get off, so I'm I'm here for oh, it. Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. The Djokovic fans are are as bad as the Beyonce Beehive and the Nicki Minaj Barbs. There, that's hard to believe, but I believe you. They're right there. They all wow. they all should be on a cruise together. Hilarious, Titanic. Make, make, make sure they get right into that iceberg. <laughs> oh, they should all be on a cruise, just oh, just throwing up their fandom at each other. It's amazing. Well, Agazi, thank you for coming on to the podcast. Y'all know what it is. Appreciate y'all for listening. This has been another edition of the The Sam D Podcast. For Agazi, for me, The Sam D, we out. We out.